Chapter 4, if you return to Revelation 4, we're plowing into the first two verses this morning. Can't stop us. Revelation chapter 4. And so we, we look at the seven churches. We ended with the last of the Laodiceans, which is the dominant church of our age. It's the last of the church age. Now, other church uh, types of churches are involved, of course, and thank goodness the Thyatira church is still alive and well. But we have the Laodicean church, and the Lord had no com comments that were favorable for that church, only negative and, and things you must fix, things you must do. But one of the interesting things about Scripture is between verses there can be a, a, a lot of activity. You have to learn to read between the lines and, and put other verses together. And so as it says here in the first of Revelation 4, this is John, the Apostle John, he said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, and said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And there's no point in reading beyond that for what we're going to talk about this morning, but I want you to see that is what happened in the chronology of this letter from John, of this prophecy unveiled, the revealing or the revelation of Jesus Christ. What happened after this? He said, after this, I look. The last thing he heard was, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. That's the last time that that is spoken. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Because the church is not mentioned again in the book of Revelation until the last chapter, the 16th verse. And so it's not about the church. John goes up and he says, I was caught up in the spirit and I was with the Lord. I saw one set on the throne. But he starts with, after this, after this, I looked and behold, the door was open. After what? After the closing of the church age. There will be a day when the church is done. And the Lord's going to call his children up and away from here. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. After this, we're going to look at what it means after this. Now this was an interesting thing because no one has ever done what John does in the Revelation. And that is, at this point on, he gives a commentary as an eyewitness from the, from the vantage point of heaven. No one else had ever done that. Paul did say, I was caught up into the third heaven in one time. He said, I was caught up, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. And so what does it mean to be caught up in the spirit? Apparently you can't even tell if you're in or out of the body. Praise God. But John said, I was there. I was caught up in the Spirit. I was caught up in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. But after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, the trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, come up here. Called the rapture. Now, there's a lot. Listen, you're going to hear, if, if you get in the Bible and you listen to much radio and you get into very many commentaries, there's a lot of discussion and arguments even about the rapture. Is it real? Well, the Bible says it is. Is the word rapture in the Bible? No. Parpazo is in there. McGee that. says it is if you if you look it up carefully. He says well, the, word, it, the word is there. The word carpazo actually can mean rapture too. The word as we read it, rapture, is not in the Bible. But the words it's taken from are in the Bible. The original language. And it has the word of a, of a raptosaurus, a way the raptors, uh, uh, one of those huge dinosaur birds would come down and just pick up something and carry it off. That's what it, it has to do with, uh, raptizo. It is in the Greek harpazo. Harpazo means to snatch away. Stealthily. Stealthily snatch away. And so John says he, he had the last word from Christ on the churches at Laodicean Church. He said you need some work. 
you're blind and naked and poor and, and miserable and wretched. And he said, I counsel you this. You better buy of me gold tried in the fire. You better buy white raiment. How do you buy it? He said, without money in Isaiah 55. And he said, you better get some eyes salve because you're blind to your need. You're absolutely blind to your need. And so the, the indictment against the last church of the church age, the Laodicean church, the indictment was this. You're lukewarm. A lukewarm church. Now, I don't know what you hear when you read that. I don't know what you think when you read that, but it's, it terrifies me. If there ever was a, a lukewarm church, it's America today. Amen, brother. We have family members doing things that God said, I'll send you straight to hell. And we're going, well, they're good people. They're nice. I like, I'm not going to upset anybody. Listen, folks. Lukewarm is the indictment of the last church that the Lord said, because you're lukewarm, you're not hot and you're not cold. What do you mean not hot or cold? You say you're a Christian. You don't, you don't uh, typically get angry at the idea of church like some people do. But you're not going to do what the Lord and the doctrine of the Spirit is. You're not going to do it. And the Lord says, because you're that kind of, of a church, because you're that kind of a Christian, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I don't care what, what you're looking up in. That's not a secret. He's going to, he said, you make me sick. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you are a church member who thinks, because I have money, I have enough money, and I have enough of this and enough of that, and I bought a new truck the other day, I'm apparently good. And the Lord says, you are blind and miserable and wretched. You have everything but me. Now, that's where the church, a lot of churches stand today. I have a number of, of other pastors that I get to talk to and share with. And I'm telling you, this is a number, this is where churches stand today overall. We are in the Laodicean age, no doubt in my mind about it. It's where the church stands today. We are comfortable. We are comfortable because the Lord has blessed this nation so well. And I believe it's because the founding fathers came over and they based the laws and the governing of this country on the, on the scriptures of, of the Lord. Amen, I believe brother. that. The Bible says the, the curses of the fathers shall pass into the third and fourth generations. We'll take the other side. So will the blessings. And we're, if that's true, we're at the tail end of it. And boy, you can feel it. And so this is the message he gives. And so John says, after that I looked and behold, the door was open. This is the first report anywhere from heaven itself by an eyewitness. Christ gave the parables and said the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, and he said that over and over. And he compared something that people knew very well with something they knew nothing about and said they talked about their similarities and their differences. That's a parable. But John said, I went to heaven. I was caught up into heaven. Here's what I saw. It's a fascinating read. A woman came into my shop one day. A woman came into my store, and she had a crazy look on her face. Okay, nothing unusual so far. But uh, she had this wild look on her face. And she was an older woman. And she was just kind of antsy and moving around, standing beside me. And, and she said, I don't know how I do with you. I, I'm drawn to you, but I don't like being with you. I went, well, that's about every woman I've ever met. And she said, I don't know why I come here, but I love you. Uh, well, I don't know why you come here either. Anyway, she's antsy, she's walking around, she's jerking, she's moving. I said, you need something, help with something? And she goes, no, I just did my own thing. I helped myself this morning. I said, what did you do? She said, I got in that Bible you love so much, and I took the scissors, and I cut Revelation out and threw it in the trash. She said, the book of Revelation is the rankings of an old drug addict, senile, crazy old man having crazy visions. It says so in there. I said, you see drug addict in the Revelation? She said, no, but it says it's a vision. It does. It's a spirit-filled vision. Praise God. She said, I walked past the trash and I saw that Bible laying in there, so I dumped my coffee ground on it. <laughs> well, good for you. I said, so clearly it's making you feel better. You can't stop moving. And she said, now don't walk me now. I'm in trouble here. I said, yes, you are. And before she left, I asked her, can we pray? And she said, no. Are you going to go to my office and pray about that? She said, no. She said, I've had all that Bible I want. Husband was at home, laying in fetal position, writhing in pain. That's how he died. 
He curled up in a ball and laid in bed and finally just died. I asked her the last time I saw her, are you mad at God for the way your husband dies? Are you mad at the Lord for that? She said, well, he's done no favors. Did you know <laughs> we're not promised to, we're not promised great health and everything roses in this world. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you don't suffer with him, you won't reign with him. If you don't suffer with the Lord, you'll never reign with him. And did you know the salvation message in the Bible is you need to come to Christ and get saved, but that's just the beginning of it. What if these little babies in our church, what if we had these babies and we just say, okay, you're good, you're, you're born, help yourself, do what you got to do. That's what we do in churches. That's what much of church experience has been for a lot of people. Got to get you saved, got to get you saved, and there's no um, clear proof of their salvation because their life doesn't change any. Now, they may or may not be saved. I'm not the judge, and I'm glad of that, but here's the thing. They have no instruction from older Christians, mostly, and they just flounder in the world. Well, I'll tell you what Satan wants. If he can't have your soul, if you actually do get saved and you're a baby Christian and you're left on the beach just to dry up, he loves to harass little Christians, make them fearful, make them doubtful, all kinds of things he brings to them. But he brings it this way, knowing this, Satan believes if I can't have your soul... I at least want your joy. I want to rob you of a, of a blessed life. And he has so many. So many people have told me over the years, I've confessed Christ. I believe I got saved. I confessed Christ some years ago, and they're not living in any blessing whatsoever. I'm not saying they don't have money and homes and cars. I'm not saying that. That's what they have. But their soul is dried up and withered, and they know it. It causes contention in the marriage. It causes people to say, my wife is cold, cold, and he's mean, and all kinds of things. They just, they just fall apart because what God made a marriage to be, if you're not living in that blessing, then you're living in the curse. You know what terrible curse is? Having everything you ever wanted and don't, don't mesh to each other. Your souls are not knit together. Man, that's our marriage counseling. That's, that's what we do in marriage counseling. We always tell people, you're not one. God called you through the altar and said, you're going to become one, and you're just as two as you can be. Well, you think that's meddling? I'm warning you. I'm warning you. A lot of people think they have a great deal because one of the spouses has no personality and just says, whatever you are. What that means? Go, go do it. Go, just go, whatever, go. A lot of that going on in the world. Man, I feel sorry for people who don't have it knit so with their spouse. Praise God. Amen, brother. And so he says after that, he says after this in verse 1, and the ending of verse 1 says, which things must be hereafter. And if you remember the first chapter, he gives the outline. The Lord said to John on Patmos in a vision, he said, I'm going to give you the things, and the outline is the things which were, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, what's going to come hereafter? You divide the book of Revelation out, I'm telling you this, you get to the fourth chapter. John is called up in a, in a, in a rapture situation. He's called up into heaven like the, like the Christians are going to be at the rapture. And he sees all of these things. And from chapter 4 and verse 1, all the way through the 19th chapter of Revelation, it's about the great tribulation. The wrath of God being poured on people who do not receive him as their Savior. That's what it is. He said, and it starts, with, it starts with the trumpets and the vials and the bowls, and it just, one after another. He said, and I heard another one, and this seal was opened. And what happened? And God rained down fire upon them, rained down hail upon them, tortured. They were starving. They were all, it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. When I was 10 years old and I got saved, I got saved because I did not want to go to hell. That's what I got saved for. I was 10 years old. I didn't want to go to hell. Pastor was the pastor there. Probably a young man looking back, but he looked old to me. He looked more like Colonel Sanders to me, particularly when he grew a beard. But he was preaching a series on John 3.16. 
he stood up one Sunday morning and said, now the next several Sundays I'm going to preach out of this one verse. And I thought, man, how do you do that without just boring us to death? <laughs> he showed us. And on the third Sunday, as ignorant as I was, as ignorant as I was, which is amazingly ignorant, and even dumb as I was, the Lord took that message of the gospel from here and drove it right down here. Ten-year-old boy. I believe the salvation story just the way I did 54 years ago. And I'll tell you why. It hasn't changed. I couldn't believe the Lord did that for me. And even to this day, I can't believe how much he blesses. I can't believe he pours such blessings on me. We have a blessed life. I'll tell you how you get to a blessed life. You trust him. Just trust him. Just trust him. If you were told you were going to expire on Wednesday, like our milk did last Wednesday, if you were told you were going to expire on Wednesday, would you be in a panic to do some things? And if you would be, you need to do them anyway. You need to do them now. If you would be in a panic to, to do some things before you died, you need to do them now. And so what it says after this, and the question then to normal reader would be after what? Well, it's after the church age. And so one of these days, one of these days, the Lord's going to take the church out of the world before the Great Tribulation. The Bible says we are not appointed to God's wrath. And it begins here. And there's an opening in the book as it continues of the seven seals. The seven trumpets blow and seven vials or seven bowls there pour out upon the world. And it's the wrath of God. And the church is taken up. We're, we are going to be witnessing this from a heavenly advantage. Now I want you to read this with me in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. You know this chapter. I've taken this to almost every funeral I've ever done. Not always. But I've taken this to almost every funeral I've ever done because so many unchurched people are there as friends of the deceased. I want people to get a hold of this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Paul says to them, and Paul writes to answer questions that he's gotten from the people. Paul went around and started little churches everywhere he went. Paul would go around and start a church, and he'd stay for a while, and he would appoint someone who seemed to know what they were talking about, I guess, or the, whoever the Lord told him to point, and he would point that person as the pastor or the overseer or the elder of the church, and he would move on and start another church. And in all of his journeys, you read the Bible and it says, and I was there in prison for my preaching, and I was there, and I was at this place, and letters came in by runners and said, the church is going pretty well, but we have these questions. They come up, and the elder didn't know how to answer them. And Paul says this in Thessalonians, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, concerning those who have died. A lot of, a lot of mythology all through the history of people, but back then there was a lot of mythology going around. And Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant or unknowing or not understanding concerning them which are asleep, so you won't have any sorrow. You will sorrow not even as others which have no hope. I'll tell you something, and you can buy this or not. When I do a message at a funeral, when I do a funeral for a family, they call me, and I've done, I've done thousands. Well, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of funerals. But I can tell you right now, there's a vast difference between a family who knows their loved ones were saved and one who don't know the Lord at all. Amen, brother. Man, there's a matter of fact. Matter of fact, I've been in places where nobody there was a church member, a Bible student, a Christian of any kind, and it's hard to breathe. It's hard to speak. If you can imagine this is what I think when I'm driving home from that, it's like I was standing there screaming into a great big cotton ball and the words were just being absorbed and it didn't go anywhere. The tension in the room gets, gets elevated. Hmm. I told Janet about this when we were, we were going to get married. I told her it was going to get tough. 
I said, you marry me. It's ugly. <laughs> and uh, it's ugly, isn't it? I didn't say I was ugly. What are you looking at? <laughs> I was waiting for you to clarify. Yes, you were. <laughs> well, I told Janet when we get married, it's very different being married to a preacher. And she said, I, I, she had her doubts about being able to do it from her side. That was a conversation we had repeatedly. And I said, well, one thing I don't want you to do, which is a fallacy of pastor's wives, is I don't want you to defend me. I don't want you to defend me. You're going to hear things and see things. You're going to see the hate in people. You're going to see the spirits come out of people. And they're going to come at me. They always do. The interesting thing is I talked to the morticians. They said, we don't see it in anybody else. I don't know what I do wrong. But I draw these crazy spirits out of people. I told Janet about three things one morning, and I said, oh, she was in, up in, she was here from her hometown, and I took the day off and made breakfast, and I said, I want to talk to you about some things we're getting married. I want to clear the air. Boom, boom. I told her three things. And she looked at me and smiled, and I thought, she didn't hear me. And so we had, uh, you men know what I'm talking about, and your wife doesn't hear you. She didn't hear what I was saying. Yeah? And uh, I said, look at, look at me, look at me now, look at me. And I said, this is going to happen. It's going to happen in our life. I want you to do some things. You'll be surprised who walks away. Probably be shocked by that. She said, nah. Okay, I got that one. I said, people come to me. The spirits will rear up when you preach the gospel. Yeah, we went to a funeral down in Lawrence, and they asked me to do it. And uh, the guy standing in the back doing this, want to cut my head off deal, giving me all kinds of sign language, you know, people with not enough digits. And, and just, man, just mad back there. I let them say the vulgarest thing, I let them say the most nasty, vulgar things I've ever heard in public, bragging about this guy that died. He was a fireman, he was a plumber, and he was a motorcycle gang fellow. All three of those groups showed up and had, they were drunk when they got there. There was an open bar in the back. Do you know why alcohol is called spirits? It releases the spirits. And they felt like they could do anything. And I've been preaching now for quite a while, and I'm not going to take it anymore. I thought when I was a young man, I had to take it. Anyway, a man and I was walking the back. We were leaving. There was a boy, there was a mob there. And so I grabbed Janet's hand and I made a hole because if I go somewhere, there's a hole behind me. And then our other friend was behind her and we went. But a man, a man, uh, he grabbed my lapel and he said, How about you and me go outside? I handed her my Bible. I said, I love that. I would, I would really appreciate that. Let's go outside. He goes, You will hit me? And I said, yes. Wrong or right, God knows the answer to this, but I'll tell you what. He looked at me. He looked at me and said, you, you, you hit me back? I said, so hard you won't believe it. I said, your mother had a hard time recognizing you this evening. I am not going to go out there and let you beat me up. He goes, you hit me back? And I said, quick and hard. I don't have a bunch in me, but I'll give you a couple, you'll remember. He goes, I'm not going in. You're crazy. <laughs> all through the minute, all through the sermon, he was standing there giving me sign language and waiting for me. I, I knew he was waiting for me. And I said, I thought so. You're a lost coward. They're everywhere. They're lost and they're cowards. Big talk. My neighbor out here, I used to live in the country, and he almost, I almost jumped out and whipped him. He, he did that for 20 years. I don't know what that means. But folks, when you have the Spirit of God and you're teaching and preaching and living the Word of God, you'll lose friends. And they're not really your friends. But we are to be caught up one of these days. The church is going to be caught up. Did you know that politics, five years ago, the last five years, Thanksgiving has become the worst day in America for divisions and families over political talk? I believe that. I've been to them. And the one who knows the least has to be the loudest and, and start yelling and make everybody kick in, and then it's just anger. 
But over and above that is a spiritual thing. Over and above that is spiritual. There are people in every crowd, some who know the Lord, some who don't, some who, who kind of do, but they're not going to do it, and they get mad. And, folks, the Lord said, here's what you're, you're to be my witnesses. We're not to be hateful. We're not to be accusatory. You don't win people to Christ by telling them how bad they are. You win them by telling them how good Jesus is. Praise God. You don't win by telling them how bad they are. Everybody knows how bad they are. They won't admit it to you and me readily, probably, but they'll, in their heart, they know it. They know their shortcomings. We don't win them by telling them they're bad. We win them by saying, I'm bad too, but the Lord paid for all that. I'm telling you, that works much better. But the Bible says here that one of these days, and this is, this is what happened between John 3 and uh, Revelation 3 and 4, the Lord said, I wouldn't have you ignorant of those who have died in, before us, so you'll have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe that? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say of you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or perceive them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, listen to what he's going to do. There's five things. It says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's going to be a shout. You think uh, when I was young, when I was younger, I'd be preaching, and people act like they didn't get enough sleep last night. So I'd be preaching. I'd walk out the aisle and holler, say something loud, scream something. Man, one day, I, and people would jump, and I thought that was kind of fun. One day, a woman in the back threw her baby about three feet in the air. I thought that's just dangerous now, and so I quit doing that. But if you think a shout is something. What kind of shout is it going to be when the Lord comes back and shouts to his children? With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now I'm telling you one of the greatest confusions in the church is a sequence of resurrections. But I tell you this, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The graveyard, the graves are going to, our grave cemeteries are going to look like Swiss cheese. Will be holes here and there, but not everybody's coming up. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Why? They have six feet farther to come. He's going. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we, which are alive and remain, praise God. Won't that be a day? Woo. <laughs> Won't that be a day? Looking at your dead relatives standing there. The Bible says that there were times in the Bible when Christ raised the dead, they went back and knocked on the door of their family. Would that be something? Can I come in? No. <laughs> You're dead. But it's a whole different economy in the spirit world. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now listen. Then we which were alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. If you want the chronology, which won't take us some time to get through the book of Revelation, the church is called out and goes up. The Lord says those who are down here are now in judgment. Great tribulation is going to go on while we're going through the, the judgment seat of Christ and on to the marriage feast. That's where we're going. Christians are going to be caught up. They're going to go through the judgment seat of Christ, not for your salvation, but for your works, for your rewards or loss of rewards. Depends on how much you live for Christ or live for yourself. So we're going to be caught up. Christians are going to be caught up. What I like is the promise of John chapter 21, the first five verses where he says, there'll be no more pain, Praise no more God. death, no, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain, no more tears. He'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. That no more pain means more the older you get. I mean, it, that, just to have a day... Yeah, you watch the kids and think, God, I never wanted to do that. How many of you know this already? How many of you know this? If I'm going to go down the floor and do something, I'm going to do everything I'm doing while I'm down there because I'm not going down again. Oh, really? 
hurt my back real bad when I was younger. I, ripped, I picked up a bird cutter. I shouldn't have done it. I was out in the yard. I was out in the yard uh, in my overalls, which is a good look. I was out there in my overalls. I was, I was digging dandelions because the neighbors, uh, they plant those things. And I tried to get them out of there, and I was using a digger, and I, I just laid down, put my arm out, and I just laid down, and I was digging a pretty healthy patch. The neighbor showed up at the fence. He said, Don, I go, yeah. Should I call someone? I said, for what? Take you to the hospital? I said, for what? I guess I didn't look too good me laying there. Can I tell you this? If you get old enough, you're going to hurt some. And I believe it's this, honestly, from my heart. I believe the Lord preparing you to die. He prepares you to go to a place where you can be yeah. with Him and be without the trouble in this world and trouble this old body. But here's a promise now. Yeah. Praise God. One of these days with a, with a shout, uh, with the voice of an archangel and a trumpet of God is going to blow. Only people going to hear it are Christians. But like when Paul was, was stricken down on the road to Damascus, when Paul was stricken down, and it said he heard, they heard a noise, but it was a great boy, and Paul answered it. They heard, they heard something, but they, not distinguishable. But Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? And then he said, He answered. Now the next thing. That's 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, the next book, about two pages over probably. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he said in the last one? He said, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which were alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. And now he, he adds to that and he says this. We beseech you, we beg you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together. That's the rapture. The gathering together unto him. Harpazo. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit or by word nor by letter as from us as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, it shall not come, except there be a falling away first. Now listen, when I was younger, I was preached to this way, the falling away will be a falling away from the church, the churches will be empty, that's not what it says, and that's not what's going to happen. The church will be huge. The falling away is from the faith. The falling away is from the actual doctrines of Christ and biblical teaching and understanding. It's the proper way of salvation. It is this sanctification process of living for Christ with our life. Now we come to him and he says this. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about that. What does the king do and what is his jurisdiction? He is sovereign. He says, I am coming. And it's all capital letters. The new name written on his thigh when he comes back, Revelation 19 or 16. It's in Revelation. He says that on his thigh is a new name written. He comes out of heaven on a white horse and says, I am the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. All capital letters. Well, let me ask you that this morning. Is he? Is that how we live, that he is the, our King and our Lord? To approach the king in a kingdom in the history of the world, to approach a king with anything other than what the king wanted to hear could cause your death. The king would just say, away with him, take his head off. Don't want <coughs> if you threaten the bloodline in any way, kill him. Kill him all right now, so that's not a problem for us. But the concept of the Bible mostly is Lord of Lords. He is the Lord. And Peter said in the, in the second chapter of Acts, in, the, in his first sermon, the sermon at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in, Jesus said, I want you all to stay here and don't go out, don't preach yet, don't do anything until the promise of the Lord comes, until the promise of God comes upon you. And I said, the great, like a mighty rushing wind comes in, and the Holy Spirit danced like fire on their heads, and they began to prophesy, and they began to speak in other languages. The Lord said, now you're ready. You have the power to go. Go. You, he, he taught them for 40 days, it said in the first chapter of the book of Acts. He taught them the kingdom 
He taught them the kingdom of God, how to, be into, how to get into the kingdom of God, what the kingdom is like, what the principles are. He opened his messages. He opened his own sermons with, with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom. The first thing he said in public forum was, the kingdom of God is a blessing to those. He talks all the way through the word of God about a kingdom. But he says he's the Lord. The Lord means this. And this is where the struggle comes. And this is why most young people tell me, my mom and dad talk a good game and they really have a, a faith in their voice, but there's no strength in it. There's no power in that. A lot of young people tell me I've never seen the power of the word of God. I've heard about it. Oh, I've heard about it. And I've heard preachers preach about it. And I've had the amen section of just give that preacher the dickens. But you know, I've never seen the power of God. The power of God comes by absolute submission to Jesus Christ. Here am I, Lord, what would I have me to do? Here am I, what would I have me to do? And so it says the, there has to come a falling away first. The man of sin, the Antichrist, must be revealed, the son of perdition. Uh, 20, uh, chapter 2, 2 and verse 4. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, it says... Who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So while we're raptured up there and this is going on, guess what? You see where the wrath of God is going to come against these people? They're going to follow the Antichrist like nobody's business. <laughs> They're following the spirit of Antichrist right now. It's going to be a big deal. And in that day for people who are left here, if you won't bow down, um, this little pandemic we just went through was a pretty good dry run, wasn't it? See who will submit and who won't. We had a pretty good dry run here, and people are going to say this, if you will not bow down to him, neighbors, friends, and family will kill you, according to the Scripture. You're not worthy of this. That's why, that's why the wrath of God is going to be poured out while we're raptured, we're raptured in heaven. We're not involved in this. We are not going to receive the wrath of God. And, he says, and Paul says in verse 5, Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time? See, the church believes, and many churches out there believe you're looking for the Antichrist. No, the church is looking for the rapture. The world's looking for the Antichrist. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're not going to see him. We might, we might get a glimpse of him, but we're not looking for his total reign. The church is going to be taken out. Look what it says now. It says the mystery of iniquity hath already worked. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit is the one, his influence. When the rapture of the church is taken out, and who, who would of you, who would want to live here after the church is taken out and the Holy Spirit's influence is taken out? Amen, brother. Every good thing, everything that's good in this world is going to be taken away. Now it's just mm -hmm. going to be what we talked about this morning. And Peter, these as natural brute beasts. That's right. They live in their filthiness and their nastiness and, and their carnal desires. And if you get in their way, they're just going to kill you. It's pretty bad now. The Spirit is here now, and it's working now, but he says, listen to this now. In verse, in verse 8 it says, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, which with all power and signs and lying wonders, listen very carefully now, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Who's going to perish? These people are deceived. They're deceived. Because, it says now, because, the reason they're going to be perishing, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. I say this to people. I know what you get in. I know when you witness to people what they say to you. Trust me, I know. I said Wednesday night out here and Bible study. I've been hit. I've been spit on. 
I've been called out with rude names and pushed, all kinds of things. I did a funeral for one day, and the old woman was a friend of mine. Her son was a heathen. And boy, when he came to the graveside, he looked like it. And I did the, I did the graveside, and he kept leaning toward me, leaning toward me. And I, <laughs> at one point, I was kind of, kind of like, well, let me get done here. I, I had my hand on his mother's casket, my Bible in my hand, and I sent her off. Best I knew, she was a gracious woman, probably a Christian. And so I said, I'm going to we'll see her again. I said, if you're saved, I believe she's saved. If she is, you'll only see her again if you're a Christian. So think about it. Her son was so mad, his face was beat red and yet. So it was a early morning when they could do it, and it was frosty. The ground was still real frosty. And I had on my hard preacher shoes, the little leather preacher shoes. I had on my old shoes. I don't want to tear up my good one. And I stand there, and I had my, so I said what I said, and I went out about 10, 15 feet, and I stood outside the tent while they said goodbye. And he come walking toward me, and uh, at that point, in, and at that point in the service, a lot of people come over to me and they grab my arm and say thank you for that, or I'd like to know more, or something. He come walking to me with like he had a purpose, and I was standing there holding my Bible. And closer he got, I thought he's not slowing down. <laughs> And he took his shoulder and rammed into me, and my feet shot out from under me because I was, well, it would have been anyway, but I was standing on frosty ground. And my Bible went up in the air and landed over, all open on this wet ground. And I got, oh man. I scrambled around and I got up and I said, what is the matter with you? He said, how dare you use my mother for a prop for your preaching? Use her for a prop. I said, I've said what your mother told me to say. Basically, I use the scripture to say it. Folks, I can tell you as that man, as I was preaching the Bible, and, and the same with the one I talked about a little bit ago, I let them say the most vulgar things. Janet was my witness here. I let them talk for a long time, saying all things they wanted to say about it. And I got up and opened my Bible, and I said, okay, but are you all done? Because I want to share some scripture with you. Hostility came out through the room. I mean, anger came out through the room. That's what the, that's what the Word of God does to people. It stirs people up. I could meet people one on one with a business deal. I see your lawnmower for sale. I'd like to look at it. I could meet them in the grocery store. I could meet them anywhere. We're good. We're good. But I open the Word of God, and it just stirs the soul of people, either good or bad. They get wound up. And that's a that's a good lesson for you here this morning. Anywhere else, if the Bible being read. I, and not me, go somewhere else, but if the Bible itself being read stirs you up in an anger, you've got a problem. You have a spiritual problem that's not going to turn out well when the Lord comes back. There's a problem with that. And I'm going to say this. When I started, it wasn't near as prevalent as it is today. There's a spirit, there's a spirit of anti-Christ in the world today that was never this bad before. Amen, brother. And I'll tell you something else. There's an anger in the world today. There's an anger that's just seething. It's just seething. You know what that is? People have no rest. They have no peace in their soul. They're not comfortable. They're not at peace. They don't have that blessing of Christ. And when I'm driving, I lose all that blessing. But when I get home, it's so nice to have it come back. But don't you know people are angry? You ought to hear the reasons I hear for marriages breaking up. They're almost silly, but people are just angry. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. Second Thessalonians 2, 11. Fix your eyeballs on that. Read it with me because you'll get it better. It says, after they'll perish because they receive not the love of the truth, for this cause God shall send them. God shall send them a strong delusion that they shall believe a lie. That's the way the Lord works. You like it? I'll give you more. You like that? That's the way God works. That's why so many people who have money and have a big home and have all these things, they think they're in God's blessing when in fact they're not. It doesn't mean you're not. If you have them and you're being blessed, that's great. 
But so many people believe I got X amount in the bank, I got house paid for. But about everybody gets there, I think. I, maybe not, but everybody gets there. No, not quite, <laughs> sir. Most people don't. <laughs> but anyway, that doesn't mean particularly that's the Lord's blessing. I know some of the wealthiest people in the community I work in to be the most heathenistic people in town. They're not in God's blessing because they can drive anything they want, live where they want, stop by the bar and spend five hours there. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 2 says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. I'll tell you. I'll end with this so you understand it. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Praise God. That's why we're here. Let it come. That's why we're here, folks. King of kings and Lord of lords. Is he your king this morning? You think like that? I told the first hour, I'm going to say it again. I don't remember my mother at all. No recollection. Four years old when she died. One day Connie gave me a book. I don't know, how, I don't know why she had it. She had a book. It was my book. My mother wrote in when I was born. My birthday. I had a little vocabulary, seven teeth when I was born. Let's keep it down. I'm trying to tell a story. But I was born. I was born puny little thing, and that I caught up. And my dad says on the top of the page, my, it says Father's Prayer, and it's blank. On the middle of the page, it says Mother's Prayer, and then I have a place there, and my mother said, We. We pray that you. Okay. I'm not sure Dad knew anything about this. I doubt it. Either we pray that you live a good, clean life. You grow up to be a good boy. Live a clean life before the Lord. Give your heart to him early in life. And the last thing my mother wrote down was this. And when you have a decision to make, allow the Lord to make it for you. Amen. Oh, praise God. That didn't mean a lot to me when I was 20 years old. But I think my mother must have known something. Because that is the Christian life. Who makes the decisions for you? The Lord does. Who do you live clean before? The Lord. Who shall ascend into the hill? The holy mountain of God. He with clean hands and a pure heart. Who's going to stand before him at the judgment day and receive the blessing of well done? Clean hands and a pure heart. The person who says in his life, not the, not the Laodicean who is a lukewarm Christian who's like, eh, I'll get to church when it's uh, convenient. It's the man and the woman who say, Lord, here am I. What would you have me to do? Don't you want to stand before him with clean hands and a pure heart? Clean. You didn't touch the, you didn't touch the unclean thing, did you? You know what I have to tell him? I did. You didn't touch the thing I called unclean, did you? I'll say I did, but he cleaned me up. You come in here in white, shiny garments. How did you do that? Well, they were filthy the way I lived, Lord, I promise you. He knew that. But it said they would be dipped in his blood and be made white as snow. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day with clean garments and clean hands. And even this, a pure heart. Because of him. Because of him. And you know why? You're going to fail in your Christian life? You are. Is sending failure? It is, but is it a big failure? Not that you go confess it, he'll forgive it. And you've learned a lesson. But Jesus said, come unto me and I'll not cast you out. 
between John 3, between Revelation 3 and 4, John records this. And so much happens in that gap there. you got to read your Bible to find out what. And John said, I heard a voice that said, come up here. I believe one day you're going to hear this, your name. I think one of these days, hospital bed, I don't know. My bed at home, I'm going to sit in the chair, mowing the grass, I don't know what. I don't know when the Lord's going to take me home, but I know this. I believe I want to hear this dawn. Come up here. That's what the Bible says. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine hearing the voice of God say to you, come up here. Come up here. Sounds good to me. Get out of that. And for all of us who had big fathers that used to grab us and throw us around, my dad would... I would, for some reason, I'd do that. I'd just do that when my dad comes to the room and he'd hook his finger under my wrist and put me on his shoulders and we'd go out. I'd do that. He'd come over with big nymphs. I'd stick my feet in the back pockets of his overalls. That must have been comfortable. So I, I, hung, on his, I hung on his neck. And when he was doing things I, in the barn and things, I'd, little, I'd hang on his neck, stick my back feet in his pockets, and, and he would work on the bench there and do things and talk to me right there beside him. But I'd do that as a boy. He'd come through and put his finger through my wrist and swing me around and put me on his back. Come up here. I want to hear one more. You want to hear that? Are you saved this morning? Are you going to hear the Lord call your name and say, come up here? Come up here. Get out of that mess. People fear death. I don't know why. I think by the time you get there, it's a welcome relief. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian. Lord, we thank you this morning, this hour. We thank you for the day. We are so grateful for your great love for us and ask your blessing to continue. And in this group right here, we ask you to particularly watch over the children. Lord, we know Satan's tactics. We know what he does. We know and we know he wants the children. So, Lord, we just pray a special special wall of protection, hedge of protection around their hearts and their souls and their minds and, and their spirits. Be with us all now. Help us to understand what you've called us to be and then help us to respond in, in love of our hearts to you in response to how good you are to us with gratitude, Lord, and live the life you call us to live. We ask for that blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing one more, page 318. I need thee every hour. 